Welcome to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 46. We're talking The Martian. I'm Ali Matu, and I'm joined, as always, by H.A. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going well. And we've got a special guest this week, Conrad. Yes, and I'm super excited to welcome her to the show. We want to welcome Zenab Chaudhry coming to us from many different things, but uh, primarily coming from TheMemorist.com. Welcome, Zenab. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yes, welcome, welcome. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Doing well. I'm really excited to be a super fantastic nerd with you guys tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we have a really awesome show ahead of us, and part of why we wanted to have you on the show, Zenab, is because you actually got... Ollie to read this book, which I, I had been recommending to him. <laughs> yeah, Yet, I saw a little of that on Facebook, and I, I knew there was a story there, and now I want to know what the story is. Oh, man. Well, Whoa. the story is basically, the story begins and ends. I think what Conrad wanted to say is you got all, you got Ollie to read a book. Well, uh, that that too, that too. So there there is that. So, Conrad, we're going to be talking about a very cool book. Uh, today we're talking about Andy, uh, Andy Ware. Is it Andy Ware? Andy Weir? I think Andy. it's Weir. Andy Weir. Andy yeah. Weir's The Martian. Um, what do we have in the crossover today? Um, in the crossover, we are going to pit um, the main character of The Martian, uh, Mark Watney, against Sam Bell from Moon. And we are going to talk about who would you rather be trapped on a space station with? Can I just pick George Clooney? Well, that, that too. I make that my pick. Um, and we've got a cool top five this week. It's going to be top five survival stories, which is uh, tying everything in together as it as a top fives usually do. So for our listeners, um, yes, we are diving into Andy Ware's The Martian. We're going to do a non-spoiler uh, review for you guys, and then we'll get into spoiler territory. And just as a heads up, in our crossover, we will probably get into spoilers for the 2009 film Moon. So just as a heads up, I'm very sensitive right now about spoilers since I had some <laughs> uh, big spoilerage happen last night while watching The Walking Dead. But we don't have to get into that. Um, You're not bitter right. or anything. No. <laughs> I don't sense any bitterness in Ellie's voice at all. <laughs> and that, oh, was, that was like a nice little uh, switching the subject regarding your reading of books. So that was, that was nice. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, speaking of reading of books, um, how did you guys get introduced to The Martian? How did this get on your radar? Um, I listened to a podcast with my partner, Bill, um, called Twit, and they were talking about it. Um, this Week in Tech? Uh, well, it was This Week in Tech, but there was, I feel like somebody else was talking about this on another podcast, um, related to that. Yeah. And I heard it on that, and then I heard, I saw a couple of different things online where people were talking about it. I feel like it may have been on The Verge, possibly. Um, and they were, and part of why they were talking about it was because of this story, um, which is because this originated, this story originated as like um, a serial. So um, Andy uh, Ware or Weir, however we would like to pronounce it, uh, he kept getting rejected by different publishers, and so decided to publish it himself on his blog. Um, and then yeah, and he just gave it away. He gave it away, and Chapter then people wanted it all together. Um, he did 
grow a pretty big fan base. So he put it up on Amazon for the lowest price that he could put it up there for, which was 99 cents. Um, and it just took off and it was just a huge sensation. Um, and then more recently, the rights for the story uh, were bought for a film that's going to be released next year, which is kind of crazy. Um, Potentially by Ridley Scott starring Matt Damon? Um, like, and Jessica Chastain, oddly enough. So yeah. they go from Interstellar to The Martian. Um, but yeah, so it's been... So I think that that's part of why... It, it caught my attention was that it was just kind of this really interesting story. And then Bill actually read this, which is... And he he's re- a huge space nerd. Anyone who's a, heard our Cosmos episode. He is a space nerd, but he is not a fiction nerd. Yeah. He, he yeah. does not generally read fiction. Um, he loves to read all sorts of, you know, nonfiction and real life stories and, and anything to do with any of the space missions and the moon landings. But this is not... I was actually a little surprised that he got to this ahead of me, and then he's like, "You should really read this," and <laughs> and of course I did in a day. So so it was the tech story that kind of got got mm-hmm. this on your radar. And then what about for you, Zainab? I am um, so I am a huge bibliophile. I tend to hang out at the local Barnes and Noble on my lunch break um, at work, and I just sort of peruse the tables, browse the shelves and see what's out and what's new. And I saw this on one of the um, one of the displays and it clicked something in the back of my brain. I feel like I had read about it or heard about it. Um, but I, you know, I always pick up a book that looks interesting and I'll read the synopsis and it, it sounded interesting and I, I bought it and I brought it home. And um, I love books that suck you in and you know, I read a lot of fiction. I also read a lot of nonfiction, but the story has to be compelling. And it's rare, it's few and far between now that I find books that capture my attention so much that I don't want to put them down and that I want to finish them in one sitting. And I, you know, I used to do this a lot more, but it's rare now that a book does this to me where I'm like, oh, it's it's 1130. I have work in the morning. Oh, just one more chapter. Oh, you know, it's one <laughs> o'clock. It's totally fine. I'll get four hours of sleep. Not a big deal. And um, and this was one of those books that really grabbed me. And um, Conrad, is actually interesting that you were talking about Bill and how he doesn't um, enjoy fiction. I think what I loved about this book was that while it was fiction, the science of it yeah. seemed very very real and very doable. And I think that was part of the magic is we always imagine sort of what it would be like to, to go to Mars, to go to the moon. And this book had so many great um, practical applications of things that it made it more real. Right. And the problem solving that is used in this book. I mean, right. there are some, there are certainly pieces of the, this book that you have to stretch your imagination a bit and stretch <laughs> You know, right. um, he does push the envelope a bit in terms of, mm-hmm. of the reality of the, the the plausibility, if you will, of some of these scenarios and whether they would work. Correct. But um, Speaking it was of stretching your imagination. Conrad, you probably imagine me never reading this book because you tried <laughs> to get me to read this. No, it's just, last you year. know, what part of why and I know this sounds terrible, but part of why I thought it would it would be a book that you would enjoy is that it wasn't insanely long and it was so gripping um like i would totally agree that this is a book that i didn't put down for the minute i picked it up so 
Um, and and I you know and I know that even as I was reading it, I was like, this reminds me a lot of Apollo thirteen. And then I saw that one of the reviews <laughs> actually said said that it was sort of a cross between Apollo thirteen and Castaway, which yeah, yeah. absolutely I agree. I agree mm-hmm. with that. And this is why Bill I think loved it so much. So. So this is what was so interesting for me is, uh, Conrad, you and I do the show together. So you're, we're constantly recommending media to each other. And what I tend to do is make note of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'll add it to my queue. And it, I have this never-ending queue. It's like my Netflix queue where like everything in the middle never gets watched. And it's kind of like that. Um, and The Martian was kind of there somewhere for me. And you weren't the only one. There was maybe one or two other people who had brought it up. And then, Zenab, you just sort of like randomly <laughs> posted on my Facebook page, you yeah. must read this now. I, was, I think it, the exact thing I said was read this, read this now. And that went with a link to the book. And it, it just – it was one of those things which um, – it just gripped me as something that you and we don't know each other that well, but it, being a fellow <laughs> nerd, it was, you know, you've got this like fellow nerdness, right? Where you're like, this is something this person would enjoy. And I, I recommended it to you and I recommended it to our friend Zucky as well. And and he went and got the audiobook version of it. Um, but it just it pulled at me like this is something I need to share. It, you know, it's one thing to read a book and enjoy it. And it's another to enjoy it so much that you feel that other people need to know about this now, like immediately. And and that's how I felt about this. Oh, book. but but Zenob, I'm so happy because he actually responded and committed to reading, to reading the book to you. So I was like, oh, yes. whoever, well, that, whoever this person is, she's awesome. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's my superpower is getting people to read books, guys. That's just that's so you excellent. know. Well, that's I thought superpower. it was so bold and awesome for someone to do that who has never really recommended a book or anything <laughs> like that before to me. Yep. So I was like, I kind of have to do this. Yeah, um, yeah. It's almost like you're throwing uh, the gauntlet down. Um, so, yeah, I, I had to read it. And you guys are right. And it kind of transitioning to our non-spoiler review. Um, this book is really different. Um, it's very different from a lot of science fiction. Um, and it's almost in, in some ways more of what I was thinking gravity would be like in terms of um, – that film and how it depicts how it, I thought it would depict some of the realistic physics of space. And it does a lot of things right in terms of the physics and sounds and makes some pretty big mistakes. But over here, in terms of the science and the realism that the author brings to this story, um, it is very different from anything we've read mm-hmm. before, really. Yeah. Um, um, so do you want to do a quick synopsis? Yeah, so basically there's a guy, it's in the near future, and there is an individual who is on this uh, uh, mission to Mars, basically. I I think you can give his name. His name is Mark Watney. Mark Watney (laughs) is on this mission, and um, we're not, you know, basically the first page of the book, you realize that this guy has been stranded on Mars due to a series of unfortunate events, and everyone thinks he's dead. Right. Much like the, not quite like the Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events. No, <laughs> but it, more like a castaway series right. of unfortunate events. And the book kind of goes from there. But I think that doesn't really capture the the way in which it's written. 
Right. And I mean, I think from the beginning, it re- part of why it grips you is that it pretty much pushes you right into the action right away. So you yeah. basically, you're going to see this character in crisis and you want to find out what happens next. Um, and I also think that, you know, the, the way they treat the exploration, they've gone on a mission to Mars and it's, it feels similar to like that excitement surrounding the moon landings Mm -hmm. and how they managed to get there and they describe some of that. So that's really exciting too. So there's a lot of interesting pieces to this. And it feels, it it feels more like a story like Apollo 13 where Mm -hmm. there, we, we already had the, the moon landing in Apollo 11 and, uh, this mission, this mission to the to Mars is not necessarily the first one. Things feel a little bit routine, and then something goes wrong. Right. Yeah. It felt like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the pioneer mission to the to Mars. This is something they've done before, and you know, so so it's it's strange that something goes wrong, and they have to deal with the fact that something went wrong. So. I think what's interesting about the book, too, is that, you know, it's like you said, it, it is routine. There aren't a lot of elements of, um, you know, real, um, how do I put this, like very science fiction-y elements, like there aren't right. aliens, there aren't unbelievable things in there, and that makes the believability of the story you know, hit closer to home, I guess, in a way, um, where, you know, this does seem, I'm... I'm probably the opposite of of Conrad of um, what you talked about with Bill. I, I'm not a science person. I I have only recently in adulthood come to enjoy the theory and to enjoy, um, you know, sort of the what science imagines for us. And this book sort of brought all of that together for me, and that's what I enjoyed about it too. Yeah, I'm definitely I. I am a happy medium. I I love nonfiction. I love fiction equally for various reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. They both, I read them for different reasons. Um, And I, you know, Carl Sagan, love him. Neil deGrasse Tyson, love him. You know, like, like, so all these, you know, Pale Blue Dot is just such a great great thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But but this, I think you're totally correct. It ties up all those wonderful elements together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I was really thinking as I was reading this book is because of the science that is used and how he writes about it, I feel like people at a lot of different age levels must really enjoy this book. Yeah. Um, I- like, it's exciting, but it makes science exciting. Yeah. Um, and it makes it about survival. So... It, to kind of to for those of you who haven't read it, uh, the, for the listeners listening who haven't read it, um, there's a great New York, uh, not New York Times, I'm sorry, the Washington Journal has a great review about this where they they interview Mr. Ware and he says, "quote Every time you see Mark talking about anything scientific, which is pretty much the whole book." I had to do all the math. And they, they go in to describe how he calculated the orbital paths, how he created his own software to to track how much thrust would be needed with this ship's engine to get it from, from Earth to Mars. 
Um, he calculated the journey across different points on Mars. He studied NASA satellite images and used Google Mars to kind of calculate certain things. He figured out certain chemical reactions that would allow him to make certain liters of water. He yeah. did a lot of homework, and it really shows in how um, in, in how you read the book. And um, and he's an individual who's got a background in science. Mm. He's his father was a particle physicist. He studied uh, computer science at UC San Diego. He ran out of funding, so he didn't finish. But he's worked in computer so, uh, computer science since. Um, and he sort of self-taught himself a lot of the stuff that's in the book and did a lot of research here. To me, it felt like if you could get the biggest NASA nerds out there and have them write a work of speculative fiction, this is what it would be. Yeah. Mm, I don't know because I actually – I know he has a background in science, but he also makes this very accessible. Yeah, exactly. That's so exactly I think what that I that's – so yeah. I think that there's a difference there. I, I think his science background – helps but i also think that he adds something else to this which i mean makes it accessible to different readers and people who may not necessarily even be into science and hopefully this will get them hooked on science but the um, science could have actually made you know if it if it had been purely based in the science it could have made the book very boring and right. i will admit there there were times there where, were parts <laughs> there were parts where the concepts had my eyes crossing a little bit but you know you you worked your way through it because mm -hmm. you were dying to know what happened and at the end of the book there's actually um an extra piece where he talks about how science made him a writer and he he talks about this concern um where he he did worry that having a realistic novel would make the story very boring but then he realized that science created the plot and he sort of took that and worked with it and it you know you're absolutely right it is very accessible and if it had just been the sciencey parts it might not have been as accessible but if it had just been the story it might not have been as fun to believe in this world right. and in this character. Right. You, you know Conrad it might get people hooked on science it might also get them hooked on phonics well are we ready to move into our spoilery review then well one thing i'm gonna say before we get into our spoiler review and, and i think you both might be on the same page as me um there were parts of it that did get boring or hard to get through and my big question that i want to want to debate with with all of you is um was the character interesting like I, this is, I think the book. Uh, one of the criticisms of getting back to gravity, the film. Um, one of the criticisms there is the character stuff was. Uh, it felt pretty uh, paper thin, um, and well, they, they they tossed in some character details that didn't necessarily need to be there in that story. I feel I feel like with Martian, we're, we went in a different direction where I don't really know much about about Mark Watney. Watney. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know much about him. I know more about other things that are revealed in the story. Um, but I don't really know who this person is. And I think there were, the book kind of leans heavy on the science and light on the characterization. Well, I think that's why we should get into the spoilers so that we can actually talk about that part yeah. <laughs> well, okay, well, without skirting around the issue. So let, I, let's get into I think it. we I think, need to, uh, need to launch into that now. We can all agree that if you're a fan of space or of science fiction or of science – 
you should probably read this book and you should probably read it before the film comes out. Um, So you have a year to do that. Yeah. And it's it's a pretty quick read, Um, you know. And that's Heck, not even I, not even by Conrad's standards. It's, if it's, I got through it, anyone can. Yeah. <laughs> so, so on to spoilers. On to spoilers. So if you haven't spoiler read it and alert. want to, spoiler pause, alert. <laughs> go buy or download the book, read it, and come back. Um, all right. So on to spoilers. So to the to your point, um, at one point when you were reading this, or did you listen to the audiobook? I did an audiobook. Okay. Um, you texted me that there was a point where you kind of felt like you were not into it and then suddenly you got back into it yeah that was Um, right before he had contact with nasa um so now that we're now that we're talking about spoilers so so this character he there's a catastrophic event with his suit and his crew thinks that he is dead and because this is what they have to do, and it's horrible, but they, they basically launch and, and leave without him. He is, in fact, alive and realizes he's left on Mars, and there is a pretty long amount of time between the time that they would be able to launch a rescue probe or more supplies um, like for the next mission. And Which... He- was Which is so a, freaky to me. Yeah, and he yeah. has a limited amount of supplies because it wasn't, I mean, what is left on the planet is, you know, there's certain things, but there is really not that much, including food. Um, so he has to calculate how to get food, how to get warmth, um, fuel, and with the materials that he's given. So it is a little bit, I, I see why the Apollo 13 um comparison is made as well mm-hmm. as a castaway comparison and also nobody knows that he's still alive so that is the yeah. other piece so he has no communication either with his crew or with nasa so um it's it was when when you're first reading this story it definitely pulls you in and i hear what you're saying ali and this is this bothered me too and some of the parts um there wasn't there wasn't a ton to develop this character. I think you're correct. And if this book has a weakness to me, um, it's that generally the characters overall are not really developed. They're a little bit shallow. Uh, Zena, would you agree with that? I actually would argue that that's a strength in the book. Normally, I'm all about characters. It's why I love Doctor Who. It's why I love Firefly. It's why I love science fiction in general is because of the character development. Because when you take humans or human-like beings and you put them in an alien setting, you have to give them a a very deep array of human emotion and, and humanity to help people connect with the story. And I thought it was really interesting that I connected so fiercely with this character despite not knowing a lot about him and part of that for me was just that he is a sarcastic wise ass and I have a I have a soft spot for sarcastic wise ass I do too and so (laughs) I think as well that this is why that was able to sort of carry it and it was interesting I was not surprised at all to find that this was picked up for a film because to me it almost reads like a film script in some ways Um, and you know how like a lot of the times when you read a, a script they're not they're trying not to give the characters too much because they actually want the actors to put their own yeah to to put in their own detail and to to be interpreting what they think should be part of this character 
And that is how it read a little bit to me, but it didn't take it all away from the story for me. And in fact, I think you're right. It made it in some ways, you're more focused on the survival than on the character, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just want to know how he's, how he's going to solve the next problem. Yeah. So I, I agree with you both that um, the the pacing is great. You really are on the edge of your seat as you're going through this story. You really want to know what happens next. And I, I liked being in this character's thought process. And also um, when he does make contact with NASA or, or even before that when we begin to see NASA's perspective – I liked getting that perspective as well, how this uh, bureaucratic machine would uh, would work in trying to save a man who is stranded at Mars. I like that thought process and seeing that whole process unfold. Um, the pro- And I agree well, with you, Well, Conrad. not only save a man, but also realize that now everybody is sort of behind this, like right. when – how to deal with the PR and the press and realize oh, that – Oh, that was great. And realize that – if there isn't a way to save him, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? Like, it- well, and I and I love that Kirsten Wig is cast in that role as a NASA PR agent. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be great. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, I I think it'll, br- yeah. it'll bring some nice humor to to these moments, and and that was where some of the humor was with the NASA PR individual. Um, but but Conrad, I really agree with you. This felt like I was reading a script at times, and. This will be a great film because uh, Matt Damon will be able to bring a lot to the role in what he's communicating visually. But I thought without that visual aspect, I really left the story wanting to know know more about Mark Watney. Like if you are stranded there on Mars and as he does go through these moments where he thinks he's going to die, what's going through his head? We get a little bit of a mention of some type of family in Chicago. Chicago, we don't know much else. Like, who would he miss? Who is he thinking about in those moments where he, he thinks he's going to die? Wh- who's keeping him alive? Um, maybe this is the psychologist in me. It could be. I don't know. Gee, but, I can't imagine that. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I wanted actually to know thought, more about that. I actually thought part of why they weren't doing that is that I felt like he wasn't focusing on that because he couldn't in some ways. Like if he starts thinking about that, then he can't Mm -hmm. be thinking about what his next small move is going to be to keep him alive because he can only, like to me, he's clearly a character that has to rationalize and make things into a system because that's the only way he's going to not panic. And I mean, even how he listens to like the other people's entertainment um, oh yeah, discs and whatever, mm-hmm. and how like he's so annoyed because overdose of the seventies on that. <laughs> right. front. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think um, for me it was it was actually that he, you know, I I know that there's a lot of psychological training that goes into sending people to the space station, sending people to the moon, and I would imagine that if we reach a point where we're sending people to Mars, there's a lot that they look for. Um, there's, um, Mary Roach wrote a book, uh, called packing for Mars, which talks about, uh, you know, sort of the, the training. She's a great, um, sort of long form literary journalist and, and packing for Mars. I loved because it goes into the physical, mental, emotional, psychological training that goes into preparing, you know, NASA says they want to send a mission, you know, to Mars by 2020. Mars one is, is, 
doing something in the background. Um, you know, we, within the next 20 years or so, this is something that we want to see done. And the amount of preparation that goes into it, you really need to be, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically in a place where you are solid and you, you know, can, can withstand going out there to a place where there's a, um, I'm trying to find it and I can't, there was this great, uh, artist rendering of um, an astronaut on Mars with a staircase to a little pinpoint of light, which is Earth. And Earth is is so far away from Mars that it looks like a star. And if, you know, you mm-hmm. think about the mental preparation that goes into seeing that and knowing just how very alone you are, I would imagine that that is part of the training that he and others on this mission would get to be able to, to survive. Yeah. And I mean, if you've ever seen any of uh, any interviews with any of the Apollo astronauts, um, they're all pretty, I mean, I don't want to say there's no emotion in their voice, but they're very flat. Like there's not, um, and I think, you know, a lot of these people were test pilots. They, um, as, as you said, they were trained and chosen for different qualities. Um, in fact, one of the astronauts, there was some, um, and it's, it's one of my favorite things when you see him, uh, when you actually see him um, talking about this, they monitor, monitor their, um, I think it was John Young, actually. Um, they're monitoring his heart rate, and it didn't go above 80 yeah. while the while the, <laughs> the <laughs> shuttle was taking off. Yeah. And they asked him about it, and he was like, yeah, I was just like, okay, we're going to the moon. Like, there is just sort of a level, there has to be a level of mental like evenness and resilience there um that either it's training maybe some of it is is genetic honestly that you are just more your 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 adrenaline levels can't go up and so maybe it's just a different way of thinking about things so that's kind of how i was thinking about it well and, and there's also the element of these are his audio recordings and his logs so there could be some type of filtering of what he is recording for posterity and for for his his idea originally, which is future missions are going to probably come find me, so I might as well record data for them that'll be useful. So maybe he's not uh, not recording information related to some of these more deeper existential crises that I'm sure would happen if you spend 150 days on the red planet. <laughs> um, so I think you both are right. There is. NASA puts in um, a heavy dose of resources into training, into selection, into developing teams. But that's the thing here. This guy is smart. He is brilliant. Um, And I I love how they play on the idea of him being a botanist as well as a mechanical engineer, which uh, were really good things to be if you're (laughs) stranded on Mars. Um, But but he was also... Uh, trained to be in a, in this team and i thought some of the most human moments w- we got from hermes where the rest of his team is as well as um nasa back home so you know i, I as a i get the the reality of of nasa and and what goes into sending these people to to in the past to the moon now to space station and to the, in the future to mars um but as a reader as someone going through this book or as an audiobook listener um <laughs> just I, I i was hooked 
and I wanted to know and I really enjoyed learning about these different aspects of science and when he found um, when he found Pathfinder I was mm-hmm. like oh yeah Pathfinder's yeah. there mm-hmm. oh man that's so cool <laughs> I love those moments um, and that's what kept me going but I wanted to know more about him. And I also think that some of the the moments, and I, I think um, it sounded like you had a similar experience <laughs> set up, which mm-hmm. um, there are moments when he is describing some of the things that he's planning to do where I had to go back and reread it yeah. and just kind of like, I don't want to say fight my way, but think my way through what exactly he was doing and what he was saying and what the science of the what what the scientific solution was that he was describing and admittedly I would get tangled up a little bit um but once I worked through that um it was fine so there was a few moments like that but but yeah I I hear what you're saying because I did feel a little bit of that but I also felt like they were doing it deliberately and that it was just a piece of the character that was more of a survival tactic um, it's, it's because actually, you, if you're going to put people out, um, I mean, if you're going to put people out to do a mission like this, I mean, I think you're going to see less of what you we saw in Interstellar because um, you have to have this team of people that is going to be able to be out there and to be able to do their job to get back alive. And they have to be very precise about everything. Like they cannot be having emotional meltdowns and things like that. Like they have to be resilient. It's actually interesting to me because, again, and we talked about this a little bit before, but I have that insane curiosity gene, which means that I really always do want to know the backstory and I do want to know more about the character. And for some reason, that was completely absent here. And, you know, even the mention of the family, it was sort of a, a passing thing. And I think in a way... I appreciated that. And I I can't quite put my finger on why. I know for a fact that if there had been a romantic component here, like if he had a wife, that would have been terrible, right? Like I, I... I had no desire for that. And I actually appreciate that this book didn't go into that because that would have brought the level of it down for me a bit I think and so you didn't want a beach volleyball that he starts talking to and no, and kind of <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I really did not really did not and I, I liked that it, you know in a way his log where he's logging in his thoughts was like his Wilson you know like that yeah that's, sure that's what that was it was his and and I think you know, you you mentioned earlier that it seemed like he may have um censored himself a little bit thinking about what would be saved for posterity. And I think that didn't occur to him until later, you know, when he he got the sense that he might get saved. That's when he was like, well, maybe I should dial it back a little bit. But, uh, you know, Hmm. even then he's still super sassy to the people at NASA. And, and I, that's great. I love those moments. Those moments are great. Actually, that's where a lot of his humanity does shine through when he does, when he's sassy to NASA, when he's swearing, when he's making all these jokes, um, those moments were fantastic. And can you imagine, I mean, they, they talk about how, um, so much of the communication early on was through Pathfinder taking these photographs and there's lag in time to get the messages through and that NASA by law since it's a government uh, since it's funded by taxpayers they have to make these images available so he's like swearing up and down and saying all these things and then <laughs> mm-hmm. those images are sent to yeah. all the billions of people <laughs> in the world who are watching them I, and he knows that 
and he knows that and, and he I doesn't care and he so, doesn't care and he kind of i think he gets a little bit of a like he likes to get a rise out of people clearly so yeah. oh yeah um i also like the fact that the the fact that the crew is pretty diverse the commander is a woman yeah and it's not even i mean it's just that's what it is. I like that it's commonplace at this and point. And it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I like yep. that it's just there and that's pretty awesome. And her judgment is presented as judgment of the commander, not judgment of a woman. Right. You know, it's not an emotional decision. It's it's a decision that she makes as a commander. And I, I love that too. I thought that was great. It's great. And she's a good commander. So yeah. it's, um, I really, I enjoyed that aspect of the book a lot. And that may have also, I was like, this is a, this is a pretty cool future. I'm actually curious to know what you guys thought of the idea of basically the entire world rallying behind spending millions of dollars, millions, billions of dollars to get this one guy back from Mars. Because I thought that there was an element of that, you know, looking through as we were thinking of, uh, you know, lists of um, best survival stories, I realized that there's a common thread that runs through science fiction survival stories in particular. And that is survival through exploration, yes, but also not repeating the mistakes that humanity tends to make, the selfishness, the, you know, the the you know leaving people behind and that sort of thing and and this has the entire world rallying behind this one guy which i thought was interesting because it's a little different maybe in that it's not presenting a cautionary tale of what we shouldn't do but more of we should do more of this you know i think this is one of uh, so my my first immediate thought is uh remembering the uh quote from stalin i think uh w- one death is a tragedy and one thousand is a statistic mm-hmm. you know that's it's kind of a it's a you know we don't have to talk about the circumstances or where that quote comes from mm-hmm. but um I, I think when we do have a, a small group of individuals who are in peril and, and there's an opportunity to do something about it because of how uh, personal that story is, um, people do rally behind that. People rally around finding uh, the camper who's lost in the forest. People rally around trying to save the uh, the Chilean miners who are trapped thousands of feet below. Um, if, if there is a sense of responsibility and if there's a if there's any chance and hope, um, I think people do rally around this kind of uh, superordinate goal of coming together around, around this. And we saw that with Apollo 13. We've mm-hmm. seen that in different ways. And that part of the story was so cool. How like CNN had a Mark Mark, Mark Watney, Watney report. Yeah. Report. Yeah. And that's totally what CNN would do. Of and course they would do it. Yeah. And right? you know, he would there would be clips on the view and all that on the Today show and whatever else the morning shows would have all sorts of updates and things like that. Yeah. Um but I also think that it's when people rally around a story like that, it's they feel empowered and they have to feel empowered as if they can help. Um, that it's not a hopeless cause, as you said. Um, and that's, I think, when we see things happen with natural disasters and things like that, that's why we see many more people giving immediately upon a disaster because they're first hit with those images and they see, okay, I can help this person or that person, um, like the earthquake in Haiti, yeah. um, the mm-hmm. you know, and, and the tsunami in, in Thailand and things like that. But then you see, like, more recently, the Ebola outbreak, 
And that just feels a little bit, not hopeless, but it's so many people that are affected and in different regions. And so people feel like that is not, they can't wrap their minds around those numbers. Yeah, I think think wrapping your mind around it is a nice way to think about it. Right. So something like this, where it's like this one person and people want a hero, they want a champion and they want, oh, this, this guy who was abandoned up there and he's been surviving and, you know, he's sarcastic and witty. So, if, you know, I could, I think that that is a realistic scenario. And so that yeah, was it, also part of what was like a really interesting, I wouldn't call it, it is a little bit of another character, the, the world rallying around him. Totally. And, and that's, it's pretty true to uh, the science of, of altruism, of helping behavior. The two th- big variables that predict whether or not uh, we help someone else is if we feel responsible and if there's a clear course of action, if we know what to do. And I think, Conrad, that gets to what you said about Ebola. There's n- no real clear action of how do I help someone else. You can't wrap your head around it. But for NASA the and these individuals working at NASA whose job it is to keep their astronauts alive, they must feel such an immense responsibility mm-hmm. to Mark oh, Watney. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they will do whatever they can to find a clear way to help this individual. And they've got brilliant people working there. And I, I love how those plans came together to try to rescue him and how – um, you know, Conrad, you're talking about how this is a cool future we live in and the diversity here. How cool is it that um, it's in partnership with China? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's such a – and, you know, I like that it's also not – I don't want to say a negative future, but it's not a dystopian future. You know, right. like, there's they, – they have gotten together. They're doing research and exploration for positive things, you know, and, and that's sort of – that comes through and that – as you said, they're partnering with China. That's great, you know? <laughs> like, so, yeah. Without I, it being too... Over the... Hitting you over the head with it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's still China. It, it's still, like... Yeah. It's still these Chinese scientists saying, well, if this... If we lose this rocket, if we go through normal diplomatic means, this is never going to happen. We have to mm-hmm. connect scientists to scientists and then let the diplomats kind of backwards work work their way through this. Right. It, it was optimistic without being too Pollyanna. It's a cooperation and you're still negotiating, but you are cooperating. But it's, yeah, no, absolutely. It is not Pollyanna. So, yeah. Um, Speaking of not Pollyanna, did you guys pick up on that little mention of possible cannibalism? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Creepy. Creepy. That was was mega creepy. And and (gasps) the the one one who's chosen to survive. And yeah, that was... was, Is the smallest guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if they run out of fuel, uh, the Hermes uh, vessel that they would end up eating... um, this one guy would end up eating the rest of the crewmates. I was like, "Wow!" But it was that- a, it was the woman, wasn't it? I thought it was um or no, am I getting am I getting it mixed up? It was she was the one chose designated to survive, and if 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 she, you know if she's the only one left, then she would have a food source. That's how they refer to it as the, a food source. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was the the woman too, and her name is escaping me at the moment. I think you, I think you're both right. Too. Yeah, I, I I love I love that because it plays with these 
disaster contingency plans that you would have to think about in these scenarios. And this is one of the things I really loved about the book is its ability to make space terrifying. Um, space is terrifying. Like if someone was trapped on on Mars, we would have a heck of a time trying to rescue him. Look, after in in the fallout from the Challenger disaster, when we lost um, when we lost Challenger and um, the astronauts on board, there was a lot of discussion of if we even found out that their um, reentry insulation uh, was. Uh, was corrupted in some way, could we have sent out a rescue shuttle? And NASA yeah. concluded that they couldn't. Um, right. At the time, they didn't have anything set up for the shuttle to actually have enough food to last until – and enough supplies to last until a rescue shuttle was set up or enough fuel to get to the space shuttle. There was nothing. And this is – you know, NASA now with a space shuttle and multiple space shuttles back then – it couldn't rescue its own shuttle. Wait, are you talking uh, about Challenger or Columbia? I'm talking about Columbia. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And th- now, a- and after Columbia, in their next mission, after a few years, they, they set up a contingency where a spe- second space shuttle was set up in case a rescue was needed. But that was only after uh, right. Columbia. And was- with, I mean, and with Challenger, I, re- I don't know. Well, you, you are probably too young to remember this. But the news cycle was just on and on about... What if there had been some sort of an emergency exit for the astronauts? And there was just no way that would have happened. No. You know, like there's just no, the time is too small um, the, between when what happened. They would never have even known that it was going to happen until the last, you know what I mean? Like it happened so quickly, but it was just kind of rehashing because people were just so like heartbroken over the idea that we had lost all these explorers. And I think that they wanted to think that there had been, there could be some sort of an option in the future. And that is just something that we should build and shuttle. So it feels like, you know, people rally around that idea. And I, and I understand why. Um, What's well, a Leonard McCoy quote from uh, 2009 Star Trek? Is it uh, space is disease and danger wrapped mm-hmm. in darkness and silence or something oh. like that? It's super positive. It's super yeah. positive. <laughs> um, but I mean, but it's also very exciting. And that's the thing I liked about this that um, I didn't like about gravity <laughs> is that um, to me, this is a much more hopeful tale. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, as you know, Holly, that I disliked about gravity is that she just talks a lot and <laughs> it's annoying. And Sandra Bullock's <laughs> character. Yeah. Um, yeah. but anyway, um, but yeah, but I'm glad you, that you enjoyed it. Well, it is optimistic yeah, and yeah, no, I, I really did enjoy it. And the complaints that I have are really minor. Um, and I think they will be addressed by the film adaptation. My only concern about the film adaptation, they have some pretty big stars in here and a pretty big cast, and those supporting roles don't really have that much to do in the book. So I'm wondering if they're going to be expanding upon these characters or or their relationships or fleshing out those characters, uh, the supporting roles, more than they are in the source material. But, I mean, thinking about this film, are you guys, um, what do you guys think? Is this something you're excited about? Um, I'm excited about it. I am not quite sure. I I like Matt Damon, but I'm not quite sure that he is exactly the right choice, but I'm willing to give him a shot. I just, I keep picturing him holding up a sign to NASA saying, how do you like them apples? (laughs) But that's kind of like, 
what you would need, right? It is. I'm just teasing. Um, you need I, Goodwill Hunting, Matt. I think. Damon I think he space. may be okay. Um, I. You know what? There's this weird thing that I found recently where I really I've been enjoying films where I don't where the the leads aren't necessarily um, known actors, yeah. and I feel like there should be more of that as opposed to. But but you know, I love Jessica Chastain. I like Matt Damon. I think it's going to be, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Um, and I agree with you. I think that they're probably going to take this opportunity to flesh out some of those other characters. They're going to, I think they're going to have to. I actually am uh, a little concerned because with Matt Damon and space, I just keep picturing Elysium and his, <laughs> yeah. he, I haven't seen Goodwill Hunting Matt Damon in a while. I've seen stoic Matt Damon and that is not what I want to see. i would have, I mean, in my head, you know, Conrad, like I said, sarcastic wise asses are, are my, uh, weapon, you know, of choice, but I would have loved to see Nathan Fillion because this guy reminded me so much of Mal <laughs> from Firefly, you know, know, he was, he had that. And, it, you know, if you think about it with Firefly and the way things were aired, we didn't get their backstory until much later. Yeah. We were drawn into them as sarcastic people with a you know are they good are they evil what are they sort of uh, sort of dynamic in the beginning and and just so much about Mark Watney reminds me of Mal from Firefly. That I, I, that. I, I can't think of many roles that Nathan Fillion wouldn't be perfect for. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I agree. Pants. He needs to be cast in everything. In everything. Well, <laughs> I, I am excited about Donald Glover uh, from Community being cast in this mm-hmm. film. I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's going to be cool. Um, it's a great cast, and you know Ridley Scott doing uh, doing this, so uh, supposedly doing it, and uh, supposedly it started filming like now, so. Um, it's, I, it's I think exciting. we should. I think we should all agree to come back and review the film when it I comes think, out. Because I think yeah, we got to do that. Yes. All right. Got to um, do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, is there anything else we'd like to cover, or do you think we are ready to to go into crossover land? Let's blast off into the infinite crossover chamber. Welcome to the infinite um, crossover chamber. You have no song? Well, in space, no one can hear you scream. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Um, So in the crossover, what do we have today? Well, Conrad, thanks for asking. Today in the crossover chamber, we've got Moon, and specifically the character in Moon, we've got Sam Bell facing off against Mark Watney, from the Martian. And our question, dear listeners, who do you want to be trapped on the International Space Station with? Sam Bell from Moon or Mark Watney from the Martian? So, and opening before, it, Yeah, I was just about to say, before we get into it. <laughs> a little spoiler alert, we're going to be spoiling Moon. So, there you go with that. Um, we're and, spoiling the heck out of it. And I'm so glad... <laughs> Conrad, I finally was able to get you to see Moon. <laughs> well, I had, wa- as you remember, I had watched most of it um, on a plane, and then the system shorted out. So I never got around to finishing it. So, But I've been kind of walking around it, tiptoeing my way for, well, I for knew the main, a long time. I knew the main plot point, so it's not like that was a huge revelation to me i was more wondering how they were going to escape so um, so, what, so let's bring in the clones 
Let's bring in the clone. <laughs> yeah. So, so should we do- talk about, are we going to determine which Sam Bell? Well, okay. So here's the thing about Moon is, and the reason why we're thinking to put Moon here, um, this is an individual who's on a solo mission for Lunar Industries, um, working in this this mining operation uh, on the planet, uh, on not not on the planet, but on the Moon, the satellite that orbits around us. Which, if you've been watching Doctor Who, we find out what the Moon really is. <laughs> but that's a different episode entirely. Um, don't want to get too crossovery. Even though Zenob's here and Zenob is a huge Hoovian. Huge Hoovian, yes. Huge Hoovian. I knew I uh, liked you. I know, right? <laughs> Instant clickage. You always know a Hoovian by, by sight or by voice in this case. <laughs> if not by voice, by Sonic Screwdriver, I guess. Correct. Um, so, you know, he's a solo person living in space um, and on a satellite in space. And uh, we have uh, Mark Watney living alone in space. And they both live alone in space for a very long time. And we get little flavors of their personality. So that's kind of where this crossover came to be. Um, so what do you guys think? Who who would be your your roommate on um, alone in the infinite um, abyss of space? Um, this was a hard one for me because I feel like both of the characters are problem solvers. Um, but, and they're, they're both clearly very smart and they are both engineers, I believe. So then it comes down to the question. So if you're stuck on a space station, what exactly do you need? And you need to keep the equipment running. Um, Mm-hmm. I feel like just from what we know of Mark Watney, we see a lot more of his problem solving skills and he's a smart ass. So he's going <laughs> to keep, and I mean, uh-huh. Sam Bell's a little bit of a smart ass, but Watney is not going to let, you know, it's also going to, I think be fun and not annoying because you're going to have to do really like terrible, awful things to keep that space station running. But you could also probably, you know, play a game of cards with him or something i don't know so so my initial take is is watney at the moment i would actually also say watney uh because great minds think alike um (laughs) but also i I think they even mention in the book that he was specifically chosen for this mission not just because he's incredibly smart but because he has the ability to connect with each of his crew mates. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh I think there's a mention there that he has that sort of lightness and engaging character that would have helped everyone keep their sanity. And you can tell that he is beloved by them, um, you know, both when they think that he's gone and when they realize that he's still alive. And so I think for me, yes, there are the practical aspects, but if they're both evenly matched on the practical, will they help me survive aspects? Then it comes down to personality Um, and getting me to survive when I will be kicking and screaming will require someone with a lot of charm. (laughs) Well, and also the other, and this is a terribly practical point and I feel guilty even saying it, but Sam Bell has like, you know, an expiration date. He has three years <laughs> where he and and because of some of the like the blips in his DNA and things like that, he can have problems. Um, he can be unstable, and then eventually he just dies after three years. And you know, even if you get a super fresh clone, you don't know how long you're going to be stuck out there. 
Right. Well, three years would have been enough time to survive on Mars. Mark Mark Wadney's up there for about 150 days or about 300 souls. Um, he could have Sam Bell could have pulled it off. Yeah, I, I'm kind of torn here because I I think if you if you come down on the side of surviving and the the mechanical nature of it, yes, Sam does do some repairs. Um, but I get the impression that Sam is more of an employee than he is an engineering sort of explorer. Um, so I think on the survival ship, um, I would have to go Mark Watney. But if if we go in terms of getting along and potentially being a fun person to hang out with and be stuck with, I might want to go Sam Bell. I think we saw a little bit more of what he's like with other people. You just, you just want to play ping pong with him. <laughs> I, well, that's that's a thing, right? There's, <laughs> we, we see him do stuff with other human beings, whereas with Mark Watney, we, we hear um, that he was chosen for this and that he uh, we hear that he's beloved and everyone wants to try to save him, but we don't really get to see what he's like around other people. And I like snarky, funny people as much as the next person. But being trapped and getting constant snark might kind of get annoying. All right. So Mm -hmm. for personality's sake, I think I would go Sam Bell because he seems like a guy. Yes, I could play ping pong with Conrad. But um, seems like a guy, you know, we could talk about his family, even if they're implanted memories that might not actually existed you just want to <laughs> counsel him hey oh. I, I, I well i like talking about uh-huh. deep stuff and i think with mark watney he would be he might not go as deep and we saw that in all of his logs that he doesn't really go that emotionally deep and i think for sam bell it would be easier for me to have pretty deep conversations with him you could think of mark watney as a tough nut to crack too he could be your your greatest challenge maybe maybe it would be that he would have (laughs) to share things with you that you would have to get him to that point where he trusted you enough to let to let you in and if he doesn't, we would drive each other crazy. <laughs> if he doesn't, then he can let the 70s music drive you crazy. Because that there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be how he tried to, tries to get back at me and mm-hmm. while we're watching Three's Company. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over. All right. So, <laughs> so we have Zenob and Conrad siding with Watney. And you're going Watney. Are you kind of saying tie-ish? No, I'm going Sam Bell. I'm going to say yeah, I <laughs> nice. like I like my boy on on the moon. Uh, uh, well, well, our listeners, we we would love to hear your thoughts on this matter. Would you Would you take the smart Alec, or would you take the unstable ping pong player? Let us know. <laughs> that is the worst setup ever, Conrad. That is, uh, <laughs> I I protest. This is a the unstable question. clone ping pong player, rapidly degenerating ping pong player. Just saying. Yep. I would love to hear what people have to say. We're not talking about Sestra from uh, in black here. (laughs) No, well then that would we'd have to talk about which personality of clone you would want with you. That's true, and I would not want. uh, I would not want her. I would not want Sestra. Definitely not. No, no, no. no. All (laughs) right. All right. Let's close up the airlock on the infinite crossover chamber. 
Nice. And on to, <laughs> thank you, um, <laughs> on to our top five survival stories. So um, the criteria we had for this week's episode was a story that involves, involves surviving. Um, so this could be wide open. How did you guys come up with your list? Zenob, do you want to go first or I'm happy sure. to? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I am a huge bibliophile. So I think it was a little difficult for me because I started thinking of um, traditional stories like Robinson Crusoe, Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, you know, you, you kind of grow up on those stories. But I thought it was interesting to think about those themes that – you know, sort of popped into my head that I talked about earlier about um, survival stories in the science fiction genre and uh, survival through exploration, um, through showing humankind how not to repeat their mistakes. That seems to be a a theme that runs through a lot of sci-fi survival. Um, And so do I just go through my entire list or one by one? Um, We typically start out at five and go up to one and we just give a a little non-spoiler summary yes. about why you chose it. Okay. Um, I I chose mine. It was, you know, there was a lot of different stories that I could come up with. Um, and I, interestingly enough, I immediately thought of Swiss Family Robinson because it's like one of those Disney <laughs> movies that's on all the time, too. All the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it was in my And day. when I was young, I kind of wanted that house in the trees, who right? Who doesn't like, want that house? Who doesn't he, want that house And who doesn't trees? want a zebra? Yeah, exactly. Uh, everybody does. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I, I was sort of thinking about that kind of thing. Um, but I I think I tended toward books and stories of people that are surviving circumstances closer to what we're talking about, like in the same vein as, mm-hmm. as The Martian, um, as opposed to just surviving adversity and things like that. Um, And I will say just at the outset that I took a couple of things off the table um, just because we've covered them. Um, And Zena, Ali, and I tend to do this all the time because if there's things that tend to come up as themes a lot, we're trying to put new stories on the list so people can hopefully find out about them. New things, yeah. Yeah, so I, I left Lost off the table mm-hmm. i left walking dead off the table and i left <laughs> apollo 13 off the table though they're clearly you awesome. know right. and most zombie films because otherwise this would be a whole zombie exactly <laughs> this would be every a zombie, zombie list zombie every films. zombie film ever, <laughs> ever. Um, although i guess all of them are not survival stories necessarily so um so anyway just saying that to get it out of the way um I, ali how I, did you pick your list yeah pretty much same as as you both um i I always like to mix up mediums, so I tried to pick um, a little bit from different um, different forms of storytelling, um, and and that was really it. I was just kind of like, oh well, what's a what's a book that really sticks out to me, or a TV show, or a movie, and and that's kind of how I went about it. Cool. But yeah, I left off those same things as you mentioned, Conrad. So, Zenob, you are our guest. Would you like to lead the way with your number five? Yeah, my number five was uh, Children of Men. Oh, Um, nice. I love this movie. Yeah, it is. It is a great movie. And it, it, um, you know, the basic gist of it, uh, without giving away too much, is that um, humanity has an infertility problem. And there is uh, one person who um, is 
pregnant and uh, you know the the basic gist of the movie and the story is is helping her to survive so that she can give birth and so to me that that you know it's a great psychological story it's a great you know sort of story of what our future could look like and and um, helping the human race survive not just this one woman but her as a symbol of the human race surviving um, so yeah that was my number five. That was in my honorable mentions. Ha ha. Um, I'm ashamed to admit that I completely forgot about that film. Um, it's one of my favorite science fiction films of the 2000s. It's got a fantastic score. Alfonso Cuaron is knocking it out of that park with that yeah. film, mm-hmm. as he is with his uh, cinematographer collaborator, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but who just did The Birdman. Um, really, I think... It's a perfect uh, film for this list because it does play on these themes of what does it take to survive, not just physically, but then psychologically as well, and giving up the hope to live versus um, keeping it going. Uh, and how, yeah, I, oof, I could go on and I could do a whole episode on this film. Um, children, yeah. Yeah, so good. Love it. It is. It's great. Um, so, uh, yeah. so my number five is a pretty obvious choice. I picked Castaway, um, which is the film that Tom Hanks did and, and grew his beard and, you know, made friends with, <laughs> with a volleyball. Well said. Um, which, you know, my brother at one point uh, was living out in a pretty remote area and had left, like, we were visiting him. He had left, like, this jug of orange juice on the deck and it had, like, it really did. It looked like it had grown like kind of like this face in the mold. Like that's how old it was out there. And so we were going to throw it out and he was like, no, Wilson. And joking, of course, or so he says. But um, but this is a film that came out in 2000 and it was a big deal. Um, I saw it in the theater and I was really, um, it was a very, I know it got panned in some cases, but I felt like, um, the main character that Tom Hanks plays, he basically gets marooned on an island. Um, and the story doesn't just show how he is surviving on that island, but it also shows what happens to the other people. So I feel like it's a survival tale, not just about the castaway, but about the people that have had to deal with the fact that he's been gone. Um, so, and I think that there are some very powerful moments. It does not have a ton of dialogue, which I think was one of the criticisms. Um, but it was, I feel a very moving film. Um, and also it made me think that you, I'm like, what would, what would happen to me? I'd be dead. Cause I'm totally blind without glasses or contacts. Um, which is also what I used to think watching Lord of the Flies. Oh yeah. Um, I, I was like, oh, I just would never survive this scenario. <laughs> I would be piggy. I would totally be piggy I, on Lord of the Flies. I'm always like, oh, if only I'll carry like a bunch of, and for a while I would carry a bunch of like spare contacts and glasses just in case. I, not that this was ever a chance, but just in case I got, you know, I was a castaway. Sorry. So it's, that was my number five. How about you, Ali? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember if I really liked Castaway or, or if I didn't. Um, in general, I'm a Tom Hanks fanboy. Um, so I like pretty much almost everything he does, except for that really creepy CGI motion capture Polar Express film. Oh, um, Uncanny Valley, yeah, Uncanny yeah, Valley. Yeah, it was bad. Zena, were you a fan of Castaway? I was not as much, and I I don't know why exactly, but I think 
you know, as much as I love Tom Hanks, for some reason that movie just didn't connect. I didn't connect with that movie. There, yeah, I, I, I think where it is for me, I love half of it. Yeah. And I can't remember which half that is. <laughs> uh, I guess it's been so long since I saw it, but I should, Conrad, we should watch it again. Cause yeah, I'm trying not to give like too, it. I could tell you more why I like it, but I don't want to give out too many spoilers. So yeah. well, we should, maybe watch, we should it watch it together because then either I'll like it or I won't and I'll annoy you with my witty commentary. <laughs> yeah, about nice, it. nice. Yeah, All I know right. how much you enjoy that. Uh, my number five is a my um, weekly wibbly wobbly pick. It is the Oregon Trail, um, the video game in which you uh, are a wagon leader uh, guiding your party of settlers um, from Missouri to Oregon um, and trying not to get killed off by a bunch of different things in the process. Um, It's a total nostalgia pick for me. I used to play this on the old Apple machines in my elementary school, um, and the colors were – I think it was just the green on black um, at the time. But uh, I I constantly died in this game, so I I, I never quite made it to to the promised land in that game. But uh, I I just really loved this video game. All right. I love that one too. That was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever play it, Zenob? I didn't. I don't. What? I, I, I know. I know. I I I think the the thing that I would equate that most to is playing Mist when I was in middle school, high school. Oh, Mist was Mist was good, but it was Mist pretty was nerdy. Good. Yeah, I spent long hours playing Mist and then Riven, and when I found out that they were out available for the iPad, I downloaded them immediately. Um, but. Yeah, I, I didn't play Oregon Trail, and I, I feel like I'm I'm missing out. I might have to go back and, and experience that. I don't know if it holds up well. There, we'll put this in the show notes, but you can play it online. Um, if you go to virtualapple.org, mm-hmm. uh, you can play it. But, uh, yeah, maybe we'll have a, a little battle, see, see yeah. which of us lasts the longest. Let's do it. <laughs> um, Conrad, let's go over to you. What's your number four? Um, my number four is actually a person and they did write a book and I think there was also a movie with James Franco that came out. Um, but it was, um, Aaron Ralston and he was the hiker in Utah who basically went out. Um, he didn't tell, you know, he was a pretty experienced hiker. This isn't like he was just some amateur. Um, but he went out hiking and didn't tell anybody where he was going. And during the course of that hike, um, a boulder basically fell on his arm and pinned him. And he ended up having to amputate his own arm um, at the elbow in order to survive. Um, and, you know, I remember hearing this story and I saw the, um, I think this was in, um, it was in 20... 2010. Was it in 2010? The film? Uh, the film was, but this yeah, was in yeah. 2003 that this happened. Oh, yeah, the, the, the actual event was 2003. But I yeah. remember, you know, hearing this story and thinking, how is that, how do you even do this, you know? And um, some of the descriptions of what he had to think about, because he didn't have, I mean, he had a very, he had like two burritos on him and a small amount of water. It's very dry out there. So he knew that there was a finite amount of time where he would be able to actually do this and have the strength to do this and get himself to medical attention um, and he actually had to make this decision, like, uh, do I, if I do this, I know that 
I may bleed out. And he had to figure out all these different ways in order to get himself out of there. And he did. Um, and I remember reading this and thinking, this doesn't even sound this. I can't believe this. This sounds like a movie. And it they, of course, made a movie. Um, <laughs> but I just thought that his uh, I, I don't know that I would have had that kind of wherewithal to do that. Um, but I guess if you are in a survival situation, you don't know what you can do. But um, anyway, that is why Conrad, he's my number four. That's uh, the film 127 hours is my number three pick. So, ah, there you go. So we're on. Yeah, we're on the same page here. Um, his story is incredibly compelling. Um, the idea that someone could survive under these circumstances is uh, is incredibly inspirational. And a reminder to always carry a cell phone with you and tell people where you're going, <laughs> uh, especially if you're doing crazy, dangerous stuff like this. Um, the well, film. I also like that he has, you know, he's continued to do like he does like a speaker series and he still does solo climbing. Um, like he's still an extraordinarily positive person. Um, and I I just think that that's truly incredible. Um, Uh, the resilience that he displayed. Absolutely. He's also got one of the greatest book titles, uh, between a rock and a hard place. Uh, that's kind of awesome. Terrible and awesome. Uh, Terrible and awesome. Um, I, I really liked this film. It, it was um, you see the first half of it where he is um, is climbing and it's lush and it's gorgeous and there's a beautiful cinematography, a great score by A. R. Rahman. He and, and there was a creative team that did Slumdog Millionaire, I think, a few years mm-hmm. before. So um, yeah, this is my number three pick. So we got a semi mind meld here. Cool. <laughs> uh, well, what, was your, what was your number? Oh. Oh, my number four. Yeah. Oh, my number my, my number four is something you you will know very well too. So my number four is World War Z, the book. Oh yeah, by Max Brooks. Yeah, love yeah. this. Book. I've I've put it on other lists, which is why I, as I said, I took the zombie stuff off the table here, just because I think it's a little. Everybody's heard about this stuff from me, so <laughs> from you they have, but not from me. Uh, and so I, I really like this film, or this book, this book, not the film. Not the film. No, not the, not the film. The film is really just takes the title only. But the book yeah. is a pretty much like an anthropological study of how uh, different nations sur- uh, respond to a zombie outbreak. And the book is from the perspective of a U- UN sort of historian who's now uh, chronicling the events that happen. Happened in, in the World War Z. Um, it's a great study in, um, in similar to The Martian in some ways of how uh, realistic uh, people would respond to these fictional events. So um, I love it. If, you, if you're a fan of the zombie genre, um, you got to read this book. Read the book. Don't watch the movie. No, don't watch your movie because then you will hit your head hard. <laughs> hard. Yep. Zenim, what, what did you have for number four? Uh, my number four is actually, um, it's also going to be a movie. And I worked at a, a bookseller for a while. And uh, booksellers, just so you know, have a bit of a snobby temperament about anything that was in Oprah's book club. <laughs> but this is one of those books that was on Oprah's book club and I refused to read it, read it for years. And then I just picked it up recently and I, I actually really enjoyed it. And that was Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Um 
which is a story. It's a, a first-person memoir, and she uh, tells about after her mother dies when she's 22, she decides to, you know, she she goes through a, a lot of sort of personal stuff, and and at the age of 26, decides without any previous experience to hike solo as a woman um, along the Pacific Crest Trail, and um, the story is, you know, about it is about her physical survival, but it's also about her mental coming to grips with grief and and the things that have happened in her life that she has spent a long time running away from. So I, I, I definitely enjoyed the book. I don't know if I'll watch the movie, maybe, um, but the book really resonated with me. Hmm. That's interesting and timely, considering the movie is about to come out. So, um, I, I that's a good endorsement to check out the book because I was the movie looks kind of mm, yeah so exactly. It looks I, like an Oprah's Book Club type of movie, which is yeah. <laughs> why I don't know if I'm going to watch the movie. But the book, you know, having gone through loss and and you know knowing what that's like, that survival of your mental demons sometimes is just as important as the physical and this book sort of combines the two which i found really interesting cool yeah yeah that's uh, very cool I, I was gonna say that's going on my queue although you might not want it to be on the mm. queue because this conrad has learned things stay there for a long time mm-hmm. um, don't so, put it on the queue i'll just bug <laughs> you about it on facebook again you 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 can only use that so many times and then <laughs> i stop listening and then it wears off <laughs> yeah um so my number three was 127 hours. Um, Conrad, what was your number three? Um, my number three was actually, it's it's a couple of doctors. Um, and one was uh, Dr. Jerry Lynn Nielsen. Um, and she was a doctor that was stationed um, in the South Pole, um, in the Antarctic, um, as the doctor at, um, I believe it was the uh, Abenson Scott South Pole Station. Um, and then the other was um, a doctor, and this was like, and that was 19, I want to say, it was in the 90s, I think, that she was there. Um, but, um, sorry, 1998. Um, so that was the year, uh, and I remember this was like all over the news that year. Um, and then with that story came another story about... Um, Another doctor. Uh, this doctor- is a complicated pick. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Doctor Leonid uh, Ragazov, and so both of these doctors were basically stationed in these places where weather and other things wouldn't allow people to get to them. And in her case, um, she basically had to self-diagnose and treat herself for breast cancer for months because they could not get anybody in to come and help her. Oh, wow. um, and so she had to actually train. She was the only medical person there, and so she had to train everybody there to assist her and to also help themselves since she was the only station doctor there. Um, and she survived and she got, she got out and she, she lived for many years. Um, and then the other doctor, um, actually had to self operate on himself and take out his own appendix while he was there. And, um, both of these stories just to me, it's like, it's similar to like, when you hear these stories, you're just like, it made me think about, the, the Mark Watney character because mm-hmm. they're basically in these remote places without real help of, of medical attention 
and they're basically having to use i mean in her case they had to drop they were they were successfully able to drop off some supplies to her um but she was still having to basically do her own biopsies and stuff like that um but you know they were they were cut off and they knew that they had to figure out a way to get through it in order to eventually get back to civilization and so i thought that there was some symmetry there sorry about the complicated well, Actually, when there. you said a couple of doctors, I thought you were talking Doctor Who for a minute. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, <laughs> oh, was... you know what, Doctor? <laughs> one time I picked all the doctors for this category, so I got called out by, by <laughs> Ollie, and he was totally right. But um, all, the my doctors honorable all the companions. Yes, oh, yeah. all the doctors and all the companions all of all time. time. That covers all it, right? Time and space. Um, but in any case, I mean, you hear, like, when you hear about this and you think about exploration, and you think about, you know, the reasons why people might be out and decide to go to these remote places and then remember how much risk they are taking to go there. Um, because you don't think about these things that may just happen, you know. So um, so that was why they were my number three. Senator, were you about to say something about your honorable mention? Uh, my honorable mention was actually the Christopher Eccleston's doctor. And that was because... And I don't know if I should give away the spoiler or not, but, um, you know, he you, you find out that he's sort of the last of his kind. And, you know, so much of Doctor Who is about sort of that one episode where they're trying to get away from something that's trying to kill them or destroy the planet. And you don't think about the sort of the overarching idea of being the last of your kind and what that must be like. So that was, that was, it was going to go on my list. And then I realized that the Whovian in me was going to come out. So I kept it in my honorable mentions. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like the proper place for, for that pick. Yeah. Well, Speaking of your picks, what's your number three? My number three was the um, Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Oh, I love those. It's like mm-hmm. one of my favorite books. Oh, yeah. I, and I adore Ray Bradbury. I absolutely oh, yeah. love yeah. Ray Bradbury. I'm a huge, huge fan, not just of his science fiction, but of his sort of creepy, you know, something wicked this way comes and dandelion wine. <laughs> you know, he's just got such vivid imagery. But this book in particular is, you know, there's there's so much back and forth and this very interesting concept of humans as immigrants on Mars and the evolution of Mars because of this immigration and, and what it does to the Martians and what it does to the humans. And it's about survival through adaptation. And I... I, I, I'm just a, a huge fan of Bradbury, and I'm a huge fan of this of this set of short stories. So um, that was my number three. That's a good number three, and we don't have enough Ray Bradbury picks on this show, Conrad. I, I don't think we've really talked about him or his work too much. So we have a little uh, bit. We have a little bit. A little bit here and there, maybe. Um, but that's a good pick, Zanna. Uh Thanks. Nice, nicely done. Um, heading into our number twos. Um, my number two pick um, is uh, is a real individual, and it's um, his book, Man's Search for Meaning. This is by Viktor Frankl. Um, have either of you read this work? No. no. Okay, cool. And then I get to recommend you something new. Um, so this is a book I, um, I got introduced to in grad school, uh, Viktor Frankl. Um, an individual who wrote about his experiences uh, begin, being at Auschwitz at the Nazi concentration camp. And it's a book that um, 
many people, many of my supervisors and professors recommended to me in grad school to get a sense of how important um, having a purpose in your life is and a a sense of meaning and something to live for. And the book is told in a couple of different parts and is how this individual actually went – to develop a new form of therapy based upon his experiences that he went through in Auschwitz. But he talks about how um, what was the difference between the the prisoners who who still had something to live for and those who didn't. And I, I think it definitely that is a theme that comes out in these survivor stories. And it's it's a big theme that plays in my number one. Um, and it, it, it's a really great book on on a number of different things. So I think anyone who's interested in um, in these kinds of stories um, in that era of time when so many atrocious things happened, when there is such inhumanity to man and why – certain people were able to remain resilient in the face of such inhumanity. This book speaks to all of that. So it's, it's a great one. Man's search for meaning. Hmm. That's going on my list. Yeah. Yeah. It's a short read too. Super short. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, Zanab, what do you got? Um, my number two was, uh, I am legend. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. I again, I left it off because I've been. Because you've been, yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know what? I just don't want the whole thing to end up being stuff. But, but Richard Matheson is so awesome. So great, yeah. And I, you know, it, it's the story of this of this guy surviving. I actually really enjoyed the movie um, as well. Omega and Man or the Will Smith? The Will Smith version. I know it. I, Omega I Man is hilarious. It is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I oh, you should feel see like it. now I need to go see it, yeah. Um, and maybe do a Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, rendition of it with a bunch oh, of friends. But um, no, I, I really enjoyed I Am Legend. And I, I you know, it, but it's one of those movies and, and one of those books that I, I can only watch once. And maybe that goes back to why I appreciated Mark Watney not having a backstory or not mm-hmm. having emotions. Because mm-hmm. it kills me just seeing that emotion and that teetering on the precipice of madness that is incredibly disturbing but also really really good cool yeah good pick yeah thanks conrad what do you got for number two um my number two is the book life of pi mm, yes oh, uh, that's you a know, good pick that's a really good pick um yeah i I, I had made a mental note to make Life of Pi one of my picks, and then I totally forgot about it right until now. Yeah. So that um, would have been a mind meld somewhere. And, <laughs> I mean, I think that the thing, it's similar to what you were saying, Ali, is that, you know, there are many different ways of surviving. And this is, first of all, it's a beautifully written book, um, and it's great. Um, I didn't personally enjoy the film as much, even though I think it was very beautiful, um, but it didn't quite have the impact that I think that the book did. Um, but the, the, without getting too spoiling, uh, it's hard though, cause this is a pretty complicated plot. Right. Um, yeah. you're, you're following this main character, um, and he's on the boat. Um, and there's, you know, he's, he's basically been, been rescued and he's telling his story about how he was rescued. And, um, one of the main characters is that there's like a tiger on the boat and there's these different animals and, there's a question about whether these are real or not and what he has sort of 
basically done to allow himself to survive. Um, and there's a lot of opening, and I know that's about as close I'm going to get without, I don't want to give anything away, but um, it, there's a lot of pieces that talk a, a lot about perception and a lot of what people basically need to do to be able to survive extraordinary circumstances. And he was out at sea and starving um, and without water. And, and there's a lot of other elements going on there, but um, it's definitely, it's not, you know, it's, it took me a little while to get into it. Um, but I was very, very happy once I had finished the book so that I had made the effort. So, um, so that is why it is my number two. That's a good I, pick. Yeah. I fully support that pick. And Sorry. I, 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 don't, I don't mean to be vague, but really, if you haven't uh, yeah. read it, I, get, I just can't, can't. I just can't. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It would ruin it. Yep. Um, and it's, I think it's a hard film to adapt and uh, the adaptation worked as well as one probably could, I think. Right. Um, um, uh, but yeah, this is not the life of pie episode. Um, <laughs> so we've got, we've got all that stuff. So we're at our number ones. Um, who, <laughs> I just heard someone cross it, cross something off their list. So with that, um, um, uh, Zenob, our guest of honor, what's your oh. number one pick? My number one pick was Battlestar Galactica. Nice. Yes, it was, because that's mine too. <laughs> Mind meld. Good Mind job. Meld. Woohoo. Um, and it just goes back to, you know, the beginning. It's just a group of humans in space in this fleet. And I love that they start off the episode with a count of how many people are left. And you know, as you as you get further in the series, you know, stuff happens and and that count changes. And it's uh, that is one of the most poignant parts of of the episode is the beginning when they start with that count. So to I me, mean, Battlestar Galactica is the ultimate survival story. I got to agree with you, Zainab. Um, and this was not pre-planned or arranged. Well, see, I left it off just because you and I have talked so much about <laughs> Battlestar. So I was like, there's no way he's going to pick Battlestar, but I was wrong. However, however, it has not really landed in many top fives. Um, mm. And if people are not... Uh, well versed in Battlestar Galactica, you should be. Uh, yeah. You're doing it. You're yeah. doing it wrong. Um, however, it's no longer on Netflix. So I know, which is yeah. such a bummer. But which, but so, um, yeah. I got to say, all the themes that we talked about in um, in our top five, um, they are captured in some way in the four seasons of Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of um, it, it's not enough to survive. You got to have something to live for, which Adama says in uh, in I think the pilot miniseries, um, all the way to the end of the series. And I'm not going to spoil anything there, but um, it, it discusses all of these different themes and what what it takes to survive, and to what extent are you willing to compromise in your morals or your ethics or things like that to survive. Right. Um, really great show. Which actually brings me to my number one. Oh. Um, and there's, it's a little bit of a tie. Um, I picked the film Europa, Europa. Um, oh, yeah. And also the book Night by Elie Wiesel. Ah, uh, that was on my honorable yeah. mentions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is sort of, you know, the, the film Europa, Europa is actually based upon the true story of a man named uh, Solomon Perel. And, um, Basically, during World War II, um, he he 
escape persecution by the Nazis by pretending to be um, an ethnic German. And he was actually brought, like, sent, like, sort of taken under the wing by this, this Nazi commander and sent to a, like, a Hitler youth camp, all the while being terrified that they were going to find out. Um, and he basically had to just, you know, yeah, like, was very conflicted because clearly he sees what's going on. Um, and, you know, the, the woman that he was dating at the time was part of, like, the the Hitler Youth for Women, and he was afraid she would tell people if she found out. Um, and her mother apparently eventually found out and protected him. But it, it, the film is very well done. It is subtitled, but I, I it is pretty incredible um, that it's a true story and that he was able to then survive um, all of that. And it is not a light film, um, although there are certainly moments of levity. But um, I feel like his story and Elie Wiesel's story really show um, it. And it's not it doesn't just show the darker side of humanity because it does also show that there are, are always people that are going to be allies um, because both of them did get help. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it just shows uh, to me this is this is the, the true story of survival um, because it's both on a, on a physical and mental level. So. Ellie Wiesel's book is also deceptively thin. Like, it's a deceptively it's a, short book, it, it's but a it's heavy, hefty. It's a right? heavy book for such a short book. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, that is my, my number one. Um, Would you pick the one over another, book versus film? Well, the, part of why I did it, I, I mean, to me, Night is always going to be a bit of a touchstone for me. Um you know, um, he, I was lucky enough. He was a visiting professor at my university, and I actually got to meet him. And he is really an amazing person. So um, it's always going to to be probably my number one in that category. But Europa, Europa, I me- I remember watching and having to find out more about this person um, and his story. So yeah, so that's cool. it. Um, no, and now I did not. You know, there is there is the whole. Uh, um, you know, I, I had pondered about Alive, if either of you have ever seen that film, but I was just too disturbed by that whole story to really put no. it on there. What is I that? I not, yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> so there's a book, um, and that this was in 1974 that it was written, um, and it's basically, there was a, a, rugby team from, a rugby team from Uruguay. Oh, yeah. Who crashed in the Andes, the, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, they... Uh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> and they had to make some very terrible decisions the film about the, food sources I yes guess. food yeah. sources um and they did a film in 93 which was disturbing but very well done um i wouldn't recommend snacks while watching this film <laughs> it's like um, watching walking dead you don't you yeah don't you don't eat yeah, you don't eat <clears throat> um but anyway it's it, it's still you know, even though that they have to make those decisions when they finally get out, it's it's really an amazing story. So, is it an honorable mention for you then? Um, yeah, it's definitely honorable mention. Um, but I just, you know, it was one of those things where I was just like, "What well, is number one?" And it had to be what I picked. So, um, what was Gilligan's Island was not, you know, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Gilligan's Island. It was not. That wasn't even in the running. Conrad, much. what was that film called? The in my pick, Europa, Europa. No, 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 no. The uh, the f- alive, alive, alive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, what else did you, uh, so Zenob? You're talking about the ninth Doctor was one of your honorable mentions. Yeah. Did yeah. you guys have any other picks? 
Um, I, had, I think um, I've mentioned them all, so yeah. I'll let Zenum go go crazy. Go crazy. I, well, I had the Ninth Doctor, and I had um, Ellie Wazell's Night, and I also had Stephen King's The Stand. Oh, uh, yeah. that's pretty good. I was actually thinking about putting Misery on there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good one too. Definitely in terms of uh, struggling to survive. But <laughs> <laughs> The Stand is one of those really hefty books, and I actually. Um, have started and stopped it multiple times, but a friend of mine suggested that I listen to the audiobook version of it. And of course, I started listening to it just as the Ebola outbreak happened. Oh, um, gosh. And the first half of the book is just all about this outbreak that, that wipes people out. Are so. you listening to the unabridged? Yes, uh, I am. Mm-hmm. I would say switch to the edited. The See, original I've heard one. both sides, yeah. I, this is the thing. So I've read both. Um, I would say that there's a, additional background in the Underbridge that for me was like, oh, that's interesting to, to know about that character. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. while I was reading it, I was like, this, this, it's it a little clearly, mind-numbing. It yeah. clearly needs an editor. So, right. <laughs> um, right. so I would say that the first release of that was probably the better, the better piece of yeah. work. Yeah. Um, so anyway, just yeah. just an aside, but that's a, definitely a good pick. Yeah. So that was my other honorable mention, but that was all I had. What about you, Ali? Um, I was very much debating putting Star Wars on this list since all I've been doing all weekend long is watching the Star Wars trailer mm-hmm. and that franchise has survived. But I'm just – no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but my, my, only, uh, my only honorable mention pick is the story of Marina Chapman. Um, this is a woman who was uh, kidnapped as a young child and escaped and found herself being uh, being raised and living with uh, with monkeys um, in the Colombian uh, jungle. Uh, so, oh no, not in the Colombian jungle. Uh, I forget where this happened. But uh, she just came out with a book. Basically, long story short, um, she spent the four first four years of her life. Uh, with these monkeys and then later sort of uh, grew up in an abusive household and just struggle after struggle after struggle. And there's been some questions about the veracity of this story. However, um, it's an amazing story all over the place. So I'll put put the link in the show notes to an article about it. Um, Just interesting stuff. Cool. Awesome. Um, So you brought up the trailer question. Should we leave this as an aside for another time? Oh, my gosh. Well... You guys have been watching this trailer, haven't you? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Multiple times. That and the Jurassic Park trailer, or Jurassic World trailer. I'm going to give my two quick takes on them. Let's do quickie reviews. This (laughs) is very quickie review. Star Wars. um, I I hear what people are saying about the lightsaber issue. However, I do, I got that chill up my spine when you see the Millennium Falcon, when you see some of that scenery. And the music. And the music. And the music. And you know what? I'm just like, I'm really looking forward to it. Part of me, honestly, why do they even need trailers for this one? I mean, seriously, they could just put the put the lettering up there with the music and just be like, "This is going to be out in next (laughs) fall," and you guys are going to have to wait because you're going. Everybody's going to go to this, but it was cool seeing the Millennium Falcon like that. So that was that was Star Wars, Jurassic Park. Love Jurassic Park. I got a little bit excited until they started talking about hybrids because then it doesn't become about dinosaurs; it becomes about monsters, and that bothered me a little bit. But it was still cool to see some of the stuff and to hear the music again. Yeah. Sorry. Sure. Ali, 
Um, uh, so I love that we got a Star Wars trailer that didn't show us any stars and we still went crazy. Like, I don't mean in terms of like, these are unknowns, although there are more unknowns than, you know, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford. But I love that there was no space mm-hmm. shown in mm-hmm. this and we still went crazy. And, oh man, I went crazy when I saw the Falcon and more, more with the X-Wings. Uh, oh in- man, when they're just above the water. It looks oh, so amazing. Oh my God, awesome. we've never that seen so- that before. So cool. <laughs> um, and nothing has been revealed about this plot. I love that. And I love that it's focusing on these unknown characters, which is um, carrying forward this this proud tradition that Star Wars has had of casting unknowns and making them stars. Um, I couldn't be more excited about this. Um, uh, Jurassic Park, uh, I got chills hearing the um, piano mm-hmm. uh, single note version of and you see the island which is oh and you see the island um there's like there's something about that film that is still i mean if you watch it now yes some of the effects are like oh i don't know it's a little dated but you still get some of that magic and so i was so excited and then i'm like but then no no hybrids (laughs) and sea world dinosaur right there i thought i was like oh well this is interesting are they trying to do a little commentary on sea world and all the controversies come up and then there's just more dinosaurs and i was excited um xanam your thoughts I, uh, so the Star Wars trailer, I was super excited about and I have watched at least 12 times. Um, but it, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> both of us. 12 <laughs> times. You know, you've seen it like 30 times. Yeah. Like, okay, 12 yeah. is, you know, a ballpark figure. But, um, <laughs> I, I think it definitely has a J.J. Abrams feel to mm-hmm. it. I think from yeah. the very beginning, right off the bat. Um, but I'm okay with that. Uh, and I am excited about the new characters and getting to know them. I wish there had been just a shot of of the classic Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, um, because that would have just thrown me over the top. Um, but I love what, he saw, what we saw. I love the little droid. Um, and uh, yeah, super excited about that one. And Jurassic Park. I saw Jurassic Park when I was 10. For my 10th birthday, we sat way too close to the screen, and that movie still holds up for me. And I <laughs> learned how to play the the music mm-hmm. for it on the piano. And, yeah, I, I love the trailer. I'm excited that Chris Pratt is in it because I've been in love with him since Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he's great. Um, I think it's promising. I... You know, like you said, that the whole Sea World dinosaur and the hybrids. I'm a little concerned about that, but I am still super, super. Ex- the ten year old in me is like dying to come out for this movie. Hey, so. I saw where they were going with the with the water, like the sea based dinosaurs, and I was like, this is cool. You know, like I want to yeah. see these. I want to see what they look like. That's you know, you always want to see what the allosaur looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little, I don't know. I think when when the SeaWorld thing was there, I was like, oh, really, you guys? Well, the, but, the, right. image yeah. of, the image of that dinosaur feeding on one of the ultimate underwater right. predators. That was kind of, you That know. was a nice image. But, um, but I want to see more of that, so I'm not going to, like, pan that. But I, I really, I'm just kind of like, dinosaurs don't need to be cooler, guys. Yeah, they're cool enough. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Then something you were talking about with the Star Wars trailer. Um, I don't think we're going to see um, the original trio maybe until the film comes out. We all knew that Leonard Nimoy was in the 2009 Star Trek film. Anyone who was right. following the news of that film knew it. But mm-hmm. he was not shown in any of the of the commercials or trailers leading right. up to the film. So we might not see them. I'm kind of okay with that. And also the new droid. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. I love this. Kid. Yeah, the new droid looked cool, and uh, but you know what? He's saving them. There's no way he doesn't have to show them because everybody knows. No, just, yeah. you know that one photo that came out with them sitting oh. in that room together, oh, re- yeah. reading over the script, and how crazy everybody went over that. <laughs> uh, he yeah. knows he doesn't need to. Ha- he doesn't need to do anything. He doesn't. He really doesn't. He really doesn't need to do anything. That's true. You know, one of my favorite things about the internet. There's already been a Lego. Remake I know of yes. this. There's also well, a, no, a parody George Lucas special edition yeah. version. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, did you see all the people? Immediately, people got up with their own insane lightsaber designs. Oh yeah. Did you yeah. see some of those, which were like, oh, I love how crazy fans are. It's so awesome. Like it's so great how nerdy people are, and that they were immediately like, we're gonna put this up, and it's it's so. I think it's so much fun how people. And get it goes into back it. to the beauty of the internet that they can share that with each other, well, right. and you know, oh, share yeah. that that nerding out with each other, which is great. That's one of the coolest things about episode seven playing out. We have the largest. Probably largest franch- franchise in nerdery or geek world or whatever, and um, seeing the social media discussions um, and the real world discussions and how much everyone is just sort of involved in following this, it's so cool to see that play out. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Sure. Cool. So, so I can't wait till more of that stuff comes out. We'll, we'll talk and, about that some more. Sure. And. Listeners, let us know what you thought of that trailer. Um, Alan Bailward requested us, a friend of the show, Alan Bailward, requested that we talk about Jurassic Park on this episode. And uh, Mr. Bailward, you have had your wish granted. Um, See, that's what happens. Tweet at us and we will do stuff that you ask us to as long as it's not illegal or weird or crazy. Um, Oh, yeah. And by, by the way, I will say I am excited. I am going to see it clearly. Clearly, we will be all seeing dinosaurs together. Um, so I don't want people to think I'm down on it. But it was sort of like part of the trailer had me like super like, yay. And then part of it was like, no. So, yeah. So, Alan Bailward, there's your review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zed, thank you so much for joining us. Thank on- you, guys. This was a lot of fun. It's my first podcast. I loved it. Yes. And oh. we want you to come back. Most I definitely. I'd love to come back. Absolutely. So, where can people find you if they would like to find you on the 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 World Wide Web. Yeah, absolutely. So on Twitter, I am at The Memorist, M-E-M-O-R-I-S-T. That's also my website, thememorist.com. Um, they can search for the Facebook page, Memorist. And um, I also write for uh, Love Inshallah and Alt Muslima. So shout out to those guys. Um, and that's where you guys can find me. Cool. Lots of places, lots of stuff to read. Um, and you're, you're often writing about... Um, the wide world of geekery and um i love how you weave in a lot of personal stories with that and uh you've got a great narrative so i um if you are if you like the show please check out some of zanab's work it's uh, really good stuff thank you guys yeah conrad where can people find you uh, well on on twitter i'm at die prince um and you can also find me on my undead ish 
podcast with my friend Stuart Tiffin, Reanimated, and that's reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, we're reanimatedpcast. Ever since we did our reanimated Super Fantastic Nerd Hour mashup, I think you have gotten that right. You used to miss mix up. I, those I switched two a those lot, two but... a lot. Uh, also, I think Stuart was just like, Conrad, seriously? Like, how many times <laughs> do you have to mess up? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, admittedly, we've had a couple of rough weeks in our in the things that we have been reviewing, but we are reviewing Paranorman this week, so we're on to better and brighter things. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Um, which is a hard thing in the zombie apocalypse to be in better and brighter on. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I am as always Ali Matu on Twitter. You can find me at Ali Matu. I am also the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com. And this week, if you are in New York City, I will be uh, speaking live at uh, this Friday's Nerd Hour in uh, Brooklyn, New York. So go to NerdHour.com. Or no, wait, that's our podcast. That's our podcast. Nerd <laughs> Night. Night. <laughs> I will be talking at Nerd Night. I was like, wait, we have a Nerd Hour presentation? What's going on? <gasps> yeah, Conrad, I hope you're down because uh, <laughs> no. So I'll, I'll be talking at Nerd Night. It's basically um, geeky TED style talks where you talk about nerdy things, and I will be talking about why nerds rage. Mm, I might actually come out for that. I saw I saw you posted about it. I want to try to make it out for that. You should come out. And that space is pretty cool, cool too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I've heard great things. It's a cool place. So please come, nerdlings, and um, until next time. Oh, wait. No, we have a website, too. We need to... Yeah, you should probably uh, tell them about the Nerd Hour website. <laughs> yeah, go to nerdhour.com. Um, oh, up. sure. Talk about your Nerd Rage talk, and then just move on. <laughs> like, nothing. Nice. Keep going. Oops. Um, oh, Conrad, why do we record so late? Um, I know. I, I can't we just like quit our jobs and do this full time? I just, wish um, that'd be awesome. Um, anyways, uh, come to nerdhour.com where we would love to get your feedback on today's episode. Uh, hear about what you think about the Martian. Who would win in that epic crossover? Sam Rockwell or no, not Sam Rockwell. Sam. Sam Bell. Sam Bell. Man, is it late. I hope <laughs> no one's listening at this point. Uh, <laughs> or or Mark uh, Watney. And uh, what are your favorite stories of survival? Um, we're also on Twitter, at Nerd Hour. And uh, I'm sure there's something else. Ah, yes, email info at superfantasticnerdhour.com is another way to reach us. Um, and with that... Live long and prosper. Indeed.